0: Well, good morning, everyone. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. I'm not a morning person myself, and so I know it takes some time, a little time to wake up, but let's try it again. Good morning. morning. There you go. And for everyone who's joining us online, good morning to you. Wherever you're joining us, I pray that the Lord is speaking to you. Uh, And so, yeah, just want to say good morning. And, you know, with the Lord, there are no coincidences. There's no coincidence with the Lord. Everything that happens, I believe, whether from the beat of your heart, and trust me, my heart is beating out of its chest right now, to how we preach or what we set up at the preaching schedule is all in accordance to God's will and his purposes. And I'm talking like everything, right? And it's kind of fascinating when we look at preaching because over the last, you know, even 12 months, uh, there have been themes in the way Calvary has preached. You know, whether you look at how the elders have preached or the two Steves, or the Mile One boys. There, there have been separate books, but it seems like the Lord is saying something peculiar to us, something particular for us. It feels like every sermon leads into the next one, and the next one, and the next one. Like there's this thread that, line, that goes through it all. But if you think back to when Dave and Adam preached through First John, particularly towards the end of it, they really spoke about love. Or even how Pastor Steve now, as he's preaching through the Gospel of John, he, he's talking a lot about love. And so as, as we, it's already been announced, I am preaching later today for KCC, and it just so happens that I'm finishing up in John 10, and I'm preaching about love. And then last Friday, Steve messages me, he's like, hey, Matt, can you pinch hit for me today? And I'm like, sure, but you know I'm preaching about love? And he's like, yep, that's, that's totally cool. Like, we don't, we don't sit down and plan this stuff. We don't look out through the year. We're like, okay, you know, Steve, you're going to preach on love this, this week. And then Matt, it, it doesn't work out like that. But and so I believe that today on September 26, 2021, God has a word for us. Both individually and collectively as Calvary Baptist. And if I were a betting man, if, if I were a betting man, and I'm not, but if I were, I would say that a lot of us struggle with this idea of love or what it means to be loved. And if you spend any time looking at pop culture, the world, and how they define it, it's, it's confusing. I mean, the Beatles wrote, all you need is love. What, what, is, what is that? What are they talking about? And Maybe to reveal my age, a band called Nazareth, they say love hurts. Or others will say that love is just a feeling. But yet others have done absolutely horrible things in the name of love but what does christ say about love what does christ say about love what about john 15 greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends what about first john 3 16 this is how we have come to know love he laid down his life for us or what about first john 4 if we love one another god remains in us and his love is made complete in us But you see, this is the contrast between the world and Christ. When you come to John 10, verses 11 to 21, you see this love that is unlike the world. We see a love that is intentional, it's deep, it's intimate and sacrificial. We see a love that puts the needs of others before anything else. We see a love that peers into the depths of our soul, and despite all the skeletons and warts and wrinkles, it still says, I love you. And so if there's anything I want you to take away from today and, and go into your week with is this. The good shepherd loves his sheep deeply, intimately, and sacrificially. So if you're taking notes, whether good old-fashioned pen and paper or on an iPad or a device or whatever, I've got three notes or three points as we, as we work through the text. I'll just go through them. Uh, so point one, because Jesus loves his sheep, he will die for them willingly. Because Jesus loves his sheep, he will die for them willingly. Point two, because Jesus loves his sheep, he knows them completely. He knows them completely. And point three, because Jesus loves his sheep, he will save them powerfully. So let's just get right into it. First point, Jesus loves his sheep Sorry, Jesus loves his sheep because he will die for them. Actually, let me go back and change it up. Because Jesus loves his sheep, he will die for them willingly. Check out verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I'm just going to toss it out here, all right? I like music. I'm sure we all do. I play guitar. You might have seen me playing guitar with the the band uh, on a scatter Sunday. So I, I like music. But every now and again, I hear a song that just makes me stop whether it's a misheard lyric. Uh, but most times it's, it's because of... Okay, l- let me give you an example. So Brian Adams, Everything I Do, I Do It For You. It's a great song. I'm sure some of us have slow dance to it. I'm sure we've sat and listened to the lyrics uh, more than what we should have. But listen to what he writes in, in one part of the song. He says, yeah, I, and I'm not going to sing it, l- lest I never be asked to come back and preach at Calvary. So I'm not going to sing it. But he says, yeah, I would fight for you. I'd lie for you. I'd walk the wire for you. Yeah, I'd die for you. You know it's true. Everything I do. Oh, i do it for you. I mean, single tear. But really, Brian? Really? You'd lie for the one you love? You'd die? I mean, man, okay, last time I checked, Brian Adams is still alive. So, no, he didn't actually die for the person he wrote that about. But if I was the person he wrote that about, I'd feel pretty ripped off. Right? But this is what the world does. It defines love as this watered-down, confusing, and most often times, superficial thing. It's just an emotion. But in reality, most times, it's selfish and and rarely cares about anyone other than itself. And so when you come to John 10, 11 to 21, you see this love that is anything but superficial. In fact, it's sacrificial. You see, the life of a shepherd, it, it didn't come without risk. Being a shepherd meant you put your life on the line over and over and over again. You can look at David, the guy who wrote Psalm 23. He was a shepherd himself. And he writes in 1 Samuel that he actually killed lions and bears with his bare hands just to defend his sheep. Because when you think about it, sheep are pretty useless and helpless and hopeless. I mean, they're walking pillowcases. That's it. (laughs) They're easy pickings for thieves and robbers. That's back in verse 1 in John 10. They're easy pickings for the strangers in verse 5 or anything else that would hunt them down. But this is what makes makes Jesus the good shepherd. Not just a shepherd, but the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am. I am. And I know Steve has preached on the seven i am statements uh, as he's working through the gospel of john but because we're here again i'm going to go into it one more time because it's super important seven times in john's gospel does jesus use this i am uh terminology or phraseology he says i am the bread of life i am the light of the world i am the door of the sheep i am the resurrection and the life i am the good shepherd i am the way the truth and the life and i am the true vine and the reason why he says these things, just to remind us, because it really ticked people off 2,000 years ago when he did it, he says it because he's, he's making an, an allusion or a reference back to the Old Testament, right? Moses had this encounter with God, he comes up to the burning bush, and God is saying, you know, I want you to go rescue my people from Egypt, and he says, who should I tell them has sent me? And he says, this is God to Moses, I am who I am. I am. So when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, he's not only saying that he's God, but he's also telling us something about God, right? You see, he's not just a good shepherd, he's, he's the good shepherd. And this word good, if I can just qualify it, it means something like noble and, and wholesome and, and righteous and, and beautiful. So when he tells us that he's the good shepherd, he's bringing God's eternal goodness and righteousness and nobility and beauty into what it means be the shepherd. In fact, to drive at home. If if I want to drive at home, he tells us what he's not like. Right? Check out verse 12. This is what Jesus says. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. And he goes on in verse 13. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. You see, unlike the hired hand, The good shepherd was willing to lay down his life for his flock. In fact, take a look at how the Apostle Paul describes it in the book of Romans. This is what he says of Christ. For while we were still helpless, while we were helpless like sheep, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And why? For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, you'll never find the hired hand doing that. But like, look at, like, come back to verse 13. Because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. For him, the sheep are just a means to an end. That's it. He has no loyalty to them or anyone other than himself. But look at what he's running from. Look at what he's running from. A wolf. And let me just make it simple. When Jesus talks about the wolf here, he's talking about sin and death. You know, I've been a Christian now for almost 20 years. And when I was a new Christian, I, uh, I had all these crazy, vivid dreams. And a lot of them I can still recall even 20 years on. But one of the dreams I had when I was a new Christian, I, I dreamt I was walking in the woods and like legit, this is a legit dream that I had. I dreamt I was walking in the woods, uh, down this trail, and to the left of me, although I could never see him, I knew it was Christ. I knew Jesus was walking with me. And as I looked over my shoulder, I could see off in the distance this huge black wolf. No joke. It never came any closer to me. It never backed off any farther. It always just stayed there off in the distance. It never looked to Jesus. It always had its eye on me and at no point did I feel threatened like I can I can still think about how I felt as I was walking beside Christ I felt nothing but peace and safety and I I don't I don't want to put too much emphasis on dreams because the Bible is our ultimate authority dreams aren't because dreams can be wrong and they can be weird and all that kind of good stuff but the more I spent in John 10 the more verse 12 came to life here's why Let's talk about the wolf for a second or wolves wolves are smart they take their time when they hunt they look for weaknesses they expose our vulnerabilities or their uh, the, uh, it's prey's vulnerabilities they wait and they watch they study their prey and they know exactly when to move you see very rarely will a wolf go straight in for the kill unless they're hunting as a pack if it's a larger animal, and you know we got some pretty big animals here in Newfoundland, they might strike it multiple times on the leg, or behind the ears, or on the snout, uh, just to weaken them, to tire them down, in, in the hopes that it would drop in exhaustion or in pain. But isn't this how sin works in our lives? Isn't this how sin behaves? It waits. It watches. It studies. It knows our weaknesses. Sometimes it does go straight in for the kill, but most times it's very subtle. It takes a very patient approach. Right? I mean, you're sitting at home, all alone, all by yourself, creeping Facebook. You've had a long day at school or at work, and then all of a sudden you see an ex-girlfriend or an ex-boyfriend or an ex-husband or an ex-wife or just someone pops up. Friend calls you over for supper. They offer you a glass of wine, and then you have another, and another, and another. Or how about you're? Well, we'll all appreciate this one. You're late for work, or you're late to go somewhere, and you're on Kenmount Road between May and September, and you're stuck in construction, and you're waiting there patiently, and then someone zips up ahead of you and cuts in at the at, at the last moment when you're just about to go through. I don't got to finish any of those sentences, especially the last one, because I'm guilty of, of what goes through my mind at that point. But this is how sin works. This is what the tempter does. He's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He waits at a distance for the perfect moment to kill. Or in this case, he's like the wolf who, who comes to scatter the sheep. Or he's like the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But the wolf in John 10 also represents death. I mean, what, what do wolves do? They don't rock up to a moose and be like, hey, boy, let's have a party, right? Like, no, that's not what, that's not what, what wolves do. They're, they're like, they want to kill. They want to eat. Look at what it says in James 1. All right? I won't get you to flip over. I'll, I'll read it for you. In James 1, it says, But each person is tempted when? When he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives, uh, it, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. You see, the two problems that mankind has is sin and death. And this is why John 10 is so beautiful. Because sin and death are all around us. It's all around us. This side of heaven, we will always struggle with sin. And we're going to die one day. I mean, not to be pessimistic, but we're going to die one day. I mean, in fact, Paul says the wages of sin is death, but Christ... Oh, but Christ died to destroy sin and death once and for all. This is what makes Jesus not just a good shepherd, not just some good shepherd, but the good shepherd. You see any shepherd could fend off danger, but the good shepherd completely destroys anything that threatens his flock. And don't miss this. He was completely willing to die for his sheep. This wasn't merely an act of obedience on Christ's part or, or, or something to do with his personal honor as one commentator describes it. Rather, rather, Jesus was willing to die because of his profound commitment to the ones that he loves. Calvary, do you believe that? Do you? Do you believe that Christ could be so committed to you that he would lay down his life for you? You see, this is the big thing between Christ and the world. When the world sees all your warts and wrinkles and skeletons, it runs. Just like the hired hand. It doesn't care about you and it never will. The world will only love you. The world will only love you so long as you keep up the facade. The moment you stop playing the part, it's done. But not with Christ. Not with Christ, because the good shepherd sees you for who you are. He sees you as his sheep. This isn't some Brian Adams surface-level promise to die for you. But trust me, we all have the same reaction. In the same way that we might say, really, Brian? Really? We do the same thing with Jesus. Really, Jesus? You love me enough to die for me? For me? Like, do you know what I did yesterday? Or last week? Or last year? And then he says, yeah. Yeah. This was a sacrificial, willing voluntary and purposeful death that Jesus died for his flock you see Jesus loves his sheep enough to die for them and he died for them because he knows them he knows everything about them and he knows what they truly need and this is my second point because Jesus loves his sheep he knows them check out verses 14 and 15 I am the Good Shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. You know, the older I get, the more I like going to weddings. I was at a wedding a couple uh, weeks back and it was an absolutely beautiful wedding. It was, brought me so much joy to watch two good friends come together in, in marriage, but you get to watch young people live out this, the mystery of the gospel when they get married. And you get to marvel in the fact that you're not planning it. For those who haven't been married yet or who are going towards marriage, it really is something to be able to look at a wedding and be like, oh, man, I never had anything to do with that whatsoever. I didn't spend time writing cards. I just, oh, it's, it's so good to, look at a, at, at, to be an observer at a wedding. And you get to eat some free food. I mean, oh, maybe I, I shouldn't, but it's just so good. But if you've been to enough weddings, you'll, you'll eventually see a game called the shoe game. And if, for anyone who doesn't know the shoe game, basically you get the husband and the bride. They're sat back to back with each other. They have a shoe in each hand. And the MC asks them a question uh, about, you know, who's, who's this or who's better at this. And they have to answer uh, based on who they think is better. And, and honestly, most of it is real superficial stuff, right? Most of it's like who has better taste in music or who has the most shoes, I got two pairs of shoes, by the way, in case anyone's curious. But it does raise a question about how well we know each other. And one of those shoes is falling apart, by the way. Um, But don't miss the importance of verse 14 and 15. Four times in two verses, Jesus drops the word know or to know. I know my own. My own know me. The Father knows me and I know the father, four times. And th- this, this just isn't some intellectual knowledge of, of, of something. No, this is a deep, like I mentioned before, it's a deep, relational, intimate, and reciprocal knowledge that the sheep have with the shepherd, the shepherd has with the sheep, Christ has with the father, and the father with the son. But think about it like this, okay? If we want to take it one step further. L- listen to what Jeremiah says about God's knowledge of us. This is what Jeremiah writes of God. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were a thought, God knew you. He knows everything about you. He made you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. Like he was there when your heart started beating for the first time. He was there and he knew when your eyes and ears and mouth formed. He was there when you fell off your bike for the first time and when you scraped your knee for the first time. He was there when you went off to high school for the first time. Or when you graduated from university or got your first job or, or got your first promotion. Or if you were fired or, or laid off or resigned. He was there all those times. He was there during your first heartache. He knows every valley low and mountain high that you walk through. There's nowhere you can run from God there's no nowhere you can hide from him. There's no thought or thing that God isn't aware of because, and this is what makes Jesus the good shepherd, because he is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep. In fact, Psalm 139, if you don't have a chance to, if you've never read Psalm 139, I would encourage you to do so. It is a beautiful psalm. Listen to what David writes again about God. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me, it is lofty. I am unable to reach it. This is the reality, church. This is the reality of being under the care of the Good Shepherd. He knows everything about his sheep. Everything. He knows where they are at all times. And if, if one goes missing, he leaves the 99 in search for the one. But unfortunately, the sad reality is that for many of us, we live in our own personal sheep pens. We keep who we are, our hurts and anxieties and pains and, and everything else between us and God. And I'm not saying that's wrong. You see, far too many of us in in... In the West, if you're, yeah, if you're living in the West, we call ourselves, or we say that we have this personal relationship with God. Oh, it's, I have a personal relationship with God. It's just, just between me and him. He knows me, I know him, and, and that's it. That's all I need, that's good for me, that's it. And again, that's not wrong. We need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But look at what he says here. He talks about his flock. You see, Jesus knows his sheep individually, but he also knows his flock collectively as his church, as his bride. But just like the actor who will play the part, we too put up a front with one another. We act all strong or we act all brave and we wear different masks when in fact we're really like sheep, scared and insecure. You see, we lack depth with one another. We put up fronts and we keep everyone at arm's length, because it makes us feel safe. But Jesus says, I know you. (laughs) You can't escape from me. I know you. I understand you. I have known you all of your life. You may put up a front with everyone else, but you can't with me. I know what makes you tick. I know what makes you you. I know every hair on your head, every heartbeat, and every breath that you'll ever take. I called you by name. I know you by name. I know you. I know you know you just as the father knows me verse 15 and i know the father but let me ask you how do you think the father knows the son eternally intimately consistently perfectly you see there's no curveball or circumstance that will ever cause the father to know the son any differently and this is what christ is saying about his relationship with his sheep his knowledge of us is eternal It's intimate, it's always consistent, and he knows us perfectly. In fact, it's his mission and pleasure to make himself known to all the sheep scattered all over the world. And don't lose sight of this. Verse 16 is profound. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 16. I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. If I'm going to be honest, man, this this passage is beautiful. It is so much, it has so much hope in it. But to put it in the context, if we put it in context, look back at verse 1. When Jesus talks about the sheep pen in verse 1, he's talking about Israel. The shepherd comes to the sheep pen. The Lord comes to his people Israel. That's John 1. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. He calls out to the sheep. That's the sheep of Israel. He calls them up by name, and they follow him. But then he says in verse 16 that he has other sheep that are not from this pen. But who is that? Who? And here's, here's why verse 16 is so profound. We get a preview of the heart of God here. He's talking about Gentiles. That's you and me. That's us. We're not Jews. We're Gentiles. We're non-Jews. So basically, just to make sure we're all clear, a Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. And, and honestly... <laughs> This would have caused people to roll in their graves. You see, for many Jews, at least 2,000 years ago, we were outside of the reach of God. We were hopelessly lost forever. But yet, at the beginning of Luke, look at what this guy named Simeon said of Christ. As he was holding the eight-day-old baby, he said he would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. How good is that? he would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Even Isaiah prophesied this hundreds of years before Jesus was born. This is what he says. And this is God talking about the Messiah. I will watch over you and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations. Nations, that's us. Gentiles. You see, God's heart has always been to rescue and redeem a people from every nation. In fact, if you want to see what that looks like, go to the end of the book. Open up Revelation. This is what John, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, wrote, he said, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation and tribe and people and language which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And I want us to think about this for a second. A vast multitude. I want you to think about, for a moment, the biggest concert or sporting event that you've ever been to, or the largest gathering you've ever been to. I'm not talking about COVID, you know, your double bubble or anything like that. But for me, when I was living in Australia, I went to a rugby match and there were 30,000 people screaming their guts out. That's a lot of people. I'd never been in a crowd like that before. And I'm not a math guy, but I I know enough to say that it's been just over 2,000 years since Christ was buried and and when he died and resurrected. 2,000 years of people have been coming to saving faith and church. God is not done He's still calling his sheep. He's still drawing them out from the nations. His mission hasn't ended. When he said, I have other sheep that are not of this pen, he's talking about sheep in Athens, and Cairo, and London, and New York. He's talking about believers in Toronto, and Calgary, and Tokyo, and Johannesburg. And yes, he's even talking about Twillingate, and Botwood, and sops Arm and Snetney. And all his sheep, whether Jew or Gentile, will be known by the good shepherd. Like he said back in verse 3, he calls his own sheep by name. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And the reason why the sheep recognize his voice is because they know he has the power to save. This is my third point. Because Jesus loves his sheep, he will save them powerfully. Check out verse 17 and 18. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Let me just make this real simple. Jesus was born to die. The Old Testament prophesied it. Jesus proclaimed it, the empty tomb confirmed it, and the church, us, and all over the world bears witness to it. You see, from his birth to his death, Jesus lived the perfect, obedient life that we couldn't and that we can't. And this is only one of the reasons why the Father loves the Son. He loves him for many, but as we see in John 10, his obedience is one of them. And this is good news for us because, as sheep who often go astray, that's back in Isaiah. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have a shepherd who didn't. Listen to this. Listen to how Don Carson describes it. It's not that the Father withholds his love until Jesus agrees to give up his life on the cross and rise again. No, 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 no. Rather, the love of the Father for the Son is eternally linked with the unqualified obedience of the Son to the Father. His utter dependence upon him culminating in the greatest act of obedience now just before him. His willingness to bear the shame of Golgotha, the isolation and rejection of death, and the sin and curse reserved for the Lamb of God. You see, his death was completely voluntary and his resurrection completely victorious. He was in control the whole time. The whole time. Come back to Romans 5 when Paul said, at just the right time. Not not at just the most random time. At just the right time, Jesus died for us. Even in the chaos of the garden, even when he stood trial, even as the mobs tried to destroy him. It was all his doing and within his timing. But unlike unlike how the hired hand ran from the wolf, the good shepherd ran towards the wolf. Instead of fleeing from sin and death, Jesus embraced our sin and died the death we deserve. This is why he's called the good shepherd, because the safety of his sheep And the salvation of his sheep depended on it. But let's just pause on that for a moment here. You see, we call Good Friday good because we have a full picture of what happened on that weekend. But for the early disciples, this is more like Bad Friday. In in fact, if if anyone was, was thinking it was Good Friday, it would have been Satan. The one he tried to destroy time and time again, it actually appeared like he did. It finally looked like the wolf had won. The shepherd was dead. The sheep were scattered, quite literally. Quite literally. I mean, almost everyone that had followed Jesus had fled, and the small few who didn't went into hiding. It finally looked like the wolf had won. Jesus took upon himself the sins of the world. He endured the wrath of God, and he became the sacrificial lamb who would bear the divine judgment that we deserve, and died. Oh, But Calvary, death couldn't hold him. Sin had no power over him. The grave could not keep him and the wolf would not stand over him. And why? Because he is the great I am. He is the resurrection and the life and he holds the keys of death and Hades in his hands. He has the power to lay down his life and take it back up again. Amen? Oh, there you go. And when he died that day 2,000 years ago, the love of the shepherd for his sheep was put on full display. But the question is for all of us, are you one of his sheep? Take a look at verses 19 to 21. Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and he's crazy. Why don't you listen to him? Others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who is demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So we're almost done here, but before we finish up, I want to bring us back to the beginning of John 10 for just a quick moment. If you look at verses 1 to 5, you'll see John describing some of the characteristics of Christ's sheep. Right. So first, his sheep hear his voice. That's verse 3. They know his voice. That's verse 4. And they don't know the voice of strangers. That's verse and what was meant to be an illustration of the blind man in chapter 9, verses 1 to 5 are to be an illustration of, of how the blind man responded in chapter 9. Now in verses 19 to 21, they're becoming a living reality, right? Some believed and some didn't. Those who believed quite literally lived out verses 3, 4, and 5, just like the blind man. They heard the voice of the shepherd. They knew his voice and followed his voice and those who didn't well they continued they continued they continued following strangers and i think the challenge for all of us here on september 26 2021 is how do you respond to this because jesus is quite literally saying that na- not everyone is a sheep under his care not everyone is not everyone is a child like we just literally saying i am a child of god but christ is saying not everyone is a child of god Some rejected him and others followed him. Because in these 21 verses, Jesus goes out of his way to stress that there's only one good shepherd. There's only one shepherd who loves you enough to lead you to greener pastures. There's only one good shepherd who loves you enough to lead you to still waters. There's only one good shepherd who loves you enough to truly protect and provide for his flock. There's only one shepherd. Who loves you enough to lay down his life for you and for his flock you see compared to the Good Shepherd there's nothing in this world that cares enough or knows you enough or loves you enough not the way not in the way that you want but in the way that you need right again come back to John 15 greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends so let me ask you and I'm I'm about to finish up here are you following the voice of the good shepherd? Are you a sheep under his care? Or are you wandering about looking for life and love in all the wrong places? You see, the voice of strangers will only ever lead you away from his voice. The wolf will only ever lead you to death. Unlike how strangers will abandon you, the love of the good shepherd will only ever embrace you. So if you hear the voice of the shepherd today, I plead with you listen to it you will only ever find true rest and peace in him so run to him if you know you are part of his flock then rest in him rest knowing who leads you even if you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death or 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 whatever like like it says back in psalm 23 know that the good shepherd is with you you see the reality is that wolves will come and dangers may it will abound. But let's find comfort knowing that the Good Shepherd not only carries a wooden staff to protect his flock, but he embraced a wooden cross for those who he loved. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord, to preach your word. Lord, I pray that you would remind us this week of our dependency and our need for you to be led because we all like sheep have gone astray each one to his own way Lord but you are the good shepherd you know us you died for us you put your life on the line for us so this week Father may we go through life knowing that you lead us may we turn our eyes to you Father in adoration and joy and praise knowing That whatever snare comes up, or wolf comes up, or danger comes up around us, Lord. You are the good shepherd, and you love us. And so in turn, Father, may we take that knowledge and love each other. In our families, in our friends, in our work, and inside the church. Lord, thank you for this time. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.